listening to Fox Sports Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. There was a lot of, you know, almost a post-mortem on the Milwaukee team. And Jonas was like, you know, I'm not sure Milwaukee's not still in this thing. And obviously, when you haven't lost yet at home, even though it's 2-0, it doesn't feel like maybe that it's over. It's like, well, what happened is what it was expected. But history tells us when a team goes up 2-0 at home, it, it, you know, in the title series especially, it is tough to come back. And Milwaukee is three games there, three straight wins, but Jonas was uh, optimistic about that. Let me ask you, Jonas, uh, in hindsight, not in hindsight, but at the time, what was it that gave you optimism on Milwaukee, and and how has that played out relative to what you expected? It was just how good Giannis looked. I didn't. I, I thought if this was going to be, he was coming back to try and give it a go, and and he was going to be, you know, fifty percent of what he could possibly be. Then I thought, all right, well they're down two zero. This is going to be where it's where where we are. Maybe they'll get one at home, uh, and then Phoenix will wrap it up in five or six but not only did he come back and look better than we anybody expected because going into game one we were having the conversation on the air because I think we went off the air just a couple hours before tip-off there was still a question as to whether or not he was even going to suit up he was upgraded but I think there was still some skepticism that he was going to play game one not only did he play game one he came out and he performed better than anybody expected and then he went for 40 plus in game two and I thought Man, if, if they can just get something from some of these other guys, it that feels like like a big spot to be in. And I, I just felt like there was there was room uh, for Milwaukee in this series to get back into it. And then as we've seen, they've been able to take advantage of it and they've gotten great, you know, great production from some of the other guys. That's Jonas Knox. We are straight out of Vegas. And we have, you know, obviously benefited um we played Milwaukee in the series when it was, uh, let's think about this. It was, uh, what, uh, McKenzie, about plus 210, 220 we had? Yeah, plus 220 we got it at. Okay, and that was when they were down 2-1? It was tied 2-2 at that point. No. When it was tied 2-2, it was minus one. Th- remember, it was minus oh, yeah, one. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, so, we had the plus 130 on Giannis MVP at 2-2. Yeah, yeah. So then we saw the Giannis odds of the MVP being uh, the same as the series. And we thought, and this was on Friday, we gave, we doubled down and said, let's go with Giannis. Cause we thought there was a real chance Giannis could lose the series, but still win the MVP. And interestingly, as I noted in the headlines right now, if you look at the series price, the series price for Milwaukee to win the series is minus 390. So 390 wins you a hundred. And the take back on Phoenix, what's the most current Phoenix take back? Plus 330. Plus 330. So that comes out to 78%. But if you look at Giannis to win MVP, he's minus 400. So a smidge better, but it would seem 
the market's catching up to the idea that there is a way that Giannis could win the MVP even if they lose. They'll be up 3-2 now. If somehow Phoenix wins the next two, and with how well Booker, at least his 40-plus points, you got to figure they, if, if Phoenix comes back, it's going to be Booker that does it. So that's interesting. What is Booker's MVP odds compared to? So right now, about plus 330 on Phoenix. Now, I don't think Booker wins zero chance if Phoenix doesn't win. But if Phoenix wins, is there anyone else but Booker that could win? I mean, if Paul has two monsters, yeah, but boy, that doesn't seem likely. So I'm thinking if you could get Booker at four to one or better, it might be nice bet. What do, what do we got? Consensus, Devin Booker is six to one. Chris Paul is Whoa. seven to one. Chris Paul is what? Seven to one, only just a little bit behind Booker, according to our consensus odds. Jonas. And what we do with the consensus odds is at pregame.com, we take three sports books and take the best odds of the three. So let's say one has Chris Paul at six to one, one has him at six to one, the other one, and the third one has him seven to one. Well, the theory is okay, any halfway series better is going to have three outs, and they're going to obviously take the best number. So we call it a shopped consensus with three books. So it's very representative. Boy, oh boy. So what they're saying is if Phoenix wins, Chris Paul has as much of a chance to win the MVP as Booker. Jonas, does that sound right to you? I would say up until the most recent game that that would sound right to me. Booker's performance, though, it feels like if he doesn't have monster games the rest of the way, they don't have a chance. Like It feels like Booker's got to have a monster performance the rest of the way. And if that happens and they win these games, I I don't know how Booker's not the MVP. Yeah, and I think there's even more. Let's just – I'm not sure if you're right that the only way – Phoenix can win is if Booker has monsters. Obviously, Phoenix has to play better than expectation to win game six, right? They're five-point underdogs. Yeah. yeah. But but that's only, you know, they're about a 33% chance to win that game. So you're right. Someone's got to play well for them to win that game. But does Booker have to have a monster? What I'm saying is, let's assume that Phoenix wins the next two games and that Chris Paul has a normal Chris Paul game in both games, and Booker has a normal Booker game. So no, there's really no movement from, let's just say for the sake of argument, the MVP was being decided today. for Because t- we can't predict who's going to have good games, right? So if it was decided today and they voted for an MVP of both the winning team and the losing team, who would be the MVP of Phoenix right now? Probably Booker. You think probably? Yeah, probably Booker. I just I think there's there's still a narrative attached to Chris Paul uh, in in this series, and and some people will try and nitpick some of Booker's shooting performances. He had a couple of not too hot games earlier in the series. I I, I, I think probably Booker, but I'm not 100 percent hmm. convinced. What's your sense, McKenzie? Oh, 100% Booker. Now, there is an argument for Paul if you say, well, losses don't matter. Losses don't give you any value. And if you just look at the two wins. Yeah, but that's not the way way it happens. Right. If you look at the on balance, all six games, Devin Booker, in my opinion, there's no question about it. The fact that, that LeBron got four MVP votes, as you noted a few days ago. The year they lost it shows losing is fine, right? I mean, meaning <laughs> right, right, right. if you have monster games when you lose, you're right. In, in pure logic, 
you could make the case, well, that game didn't contribute at all to winning the series, so what's the difference? But I don't think they think that way. To me, if you like Phoenix at plus 330, you've got to like Booker at 6-1 to one better, in my opinion. So I'm not going to give that as a pick because I don't necessarily love Phoenix. Let's look at the box score. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Now, why do we look at box scores? Because it helps us understand what we expect to happen in the next game. Um, What jumps right out at me is Holiday has to get some love. Uh, We've been critical of him. I've been critical of him. It wasn't that I thought he was a bad player. It was like Milwaukee sold the farm gave up the farm for him, multiple picks, a huge contract extension, and he didn't seem like a number two. I still don't know if he's a number two. If you look across these playoffs, Drew Holiday is has played less well than a typical number two on a championship team, even if you count his defense. Would you agree with that, Jonas? Yeah, I actually think that Middleton's more I've always felt like Middleton was more the number two I I felt like Drew Holiday was the guy that that was going to be able to do a little bit of everything because he's a really good defender and that was going to be an important aspect of this I always felt that Middleton was the number two but you still needed something from Drew Holiday as you pointed out something that you weren't getting from him uh, especially at at a lot of points during the postseason thus far and if if Holiday's the number three he's probably a fine number three even over the course of these playoffs but, boy, what they gave up for him was more than you give yeah. up for a number three, it would seem. So. Yeah, they, they felt like they were desperate to add add another piece to try and capitalize on this Giannis era. And they felt like he was the guy that was out there uh, that was the best available option in order to do so. And so they ended up, you know, propped in, in some people's minds, overpaying. But if they get a title out of it, you know, it's probably worth every penny. Mackenzie, let's take a quick look at Middleton, as Jonas mentioned Because I've heard people, at least one that I respect, talking about maybe Middleton wins the MVP, which I think is crazy over Giannis. But, boy, if that's even in the conversation. So there's a score, uh, a scoring mechanism that basketball reference uses that attempts to say how well did a team play or how well did a player play in an individual game. What's the name of that? Game score by basketball reference. All right, so it's a game score. And what is a good score and what's a bad score for a, for an individual player? 14 is average. A good score, uh, all-star caliber score would be like 23. All right, so 23 is a good score, 14 is average. Give us Middleton's five scores so far. 16 in game one, eight in game two. All right, so so 15- far average and well below average. 15 in game three. Average. 28 in game four. Excellent. And then 18 on Saturday night, game five. Above average. So you could make the point you average that out. He's probably a little below 14 even, right? He's at 17 for the finals. For the, so if you, if you do just a mean on it. Okay. Yeah. So slightly above average. Boy, I don't know if Middleton has a good PR agent, but, <laughs> but it did seem like the narrative on him was better. And, and again, any one scoring mechanism is going to be imperfect. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. It's so fascinating to look at these seven-game series and see one team, you know, Phoenix win handily the first two, and then Milwaukee be a four-point favorite in game three. 
right? And as much as it feels like Milwaukee is in a dominant position, that they've exerted their uh, superiority, well, in Game 3, when they had yet to win a game, they were at home favored by four points. In Game 6, after winning... uh, Game three, four, and five, so three straight. That seems pretty darn good. Milwaukee is favored by five. So they were favored by four when they hadn't won one yet, and they lost two. Now they've won three straight, and they're favored by one additional point. You add in the fact that Chris Paul could be limited by either fatigue, uh, old age, uh, a sleeve on his leg that wasn't there before, hand, you know, hand wraps. He looks like uh, who's that guy that used to have uh, all the stick him on from the Raiders? Not Jack Tatum. Um, is it Belitnikov? Lester Hayes? Oh yeah, you remember Lester yes, Hayes? Yes, yes. He was famous for the stick. <laughs> I mean, he looks a little like Lester Hayes with all the hand. I mean, and still the line's only gone up one. So you can't overreact to three games. Is it's three games. I know it's going to ultimately decide four games decides who wins it, but it doesn't change how good these teams are by very much after ninety some games. So, as we look at this, what is the scenario of Phoenix winning, coming back, winning two games, winning on the road, then winning at home in Game Seven? Well, Jonas said maybe it's Booker having monsters. I'm going to say maybe not. So let's look at Booker's assists. Now, assists are an imperfect stat. Assists are when you throw to a player and the player scores, and the theory being that the pass aided in the scoring. So sometimes you'll hear about a team and say, oh, they only scored on blank percentage of uh, assisted baskets, which means there's a lot of one-on-one. There's a lot of isolation. That's not repeatable. But then when they talk about the beautiful game and the way the Spurs played against the Heat years ago and passing and, and, and the symmetry of it all, then those are usually high assist teams. So if we look at Phoenix and start with Booker, or specifically Booker, who has scored 40 straight or 40 points Two straight games. First time in NBA Finals history that's happened losing both the games. So that is that a good stat or a bad stat? I don't know. But let's look at his average assists and let's compare it to what he averaged during the regular season. Or we can look at what he averaged during the rest of the playoffs. Anything to kind of gauge is Booker passing more because he's feeling the limelight and he wants to put up the points. So what's his assist count, McKenzie, over the last, uh, let's say, three games? Only seven assists the last three games, so two and a third would be his so average. So seven assists per game, that's not so bad. <laughs> no, RJ, seven assists total last three games for Devin Booker. Ooh, now what's it, take a minute, and, and, and if you don't have it right in front of you, what's, an, what's our gauge to say this is what he typically does? In the playoffs so far, he was averaging about five prior to the finals. Okay, so he has less than half as many assists per game. Yes, comparing the finals to the, his playoff averages before the finals. Exactly. So to me, you could say, oh, that's just a couple of buckets, but isn't that the deciding? I mean, not that every game is being decided by a couple of buckets, but boy, some of them have been. And he's putting up points, and I'm not saying that Booker's the problem. I'm saying maybe he's not as much of the solution as you might think because here's the question. And we've all, Joan, has seen this in team sports. 
if a guy's not giving up the ball, it looks like he's maybe hogging the limelight. Does that the next guy when he has the choice of shooting the ball or making a pass, maybe the pass is 10% better for the team, but he's thinking, what the heck? If this guy's going to be shooting, I'm going to be shooting. And it can become, you know, the disease of selfishness can spread on a team. I, uh, first of all, do you agree with that, that you see either teams sometimes are just become one person is uh, selfless, he's not selfish, and it spreads, and then I think in reverse, the negative can spread. Yeah, especially in the NBA to where, I mean, you'll get a couple of times where there'll be an all-worldly performance and it'll be what that team needed to get over the hump. But by and large, you need production from everybody. I mean, you know, Trey Young, he can go off all he wants, but if they weren't getting production from Bogdanovich or John Collins or some of those other guys, Lou Williams, then they weren't going to be able to, you know, win as many games as they did in the postseason and get to an Eastern Conference Finals. So when you see Booker, I, I actually wonder what what's the... What is sort of the happy median where you're getting enough production from him offensively from a scoring standpoint, but still able to get some from from the other guys? Is it is it 30? Is anything above 30 bad news for Phoenix? Uh, Just in, in looking at his box score, you know, when he goes for 40, it feels like potentially bad things are happening for him right now. And to me, it's how hot he is. I think any NBA player understands if someone's in the zone and they're a scorer, they want them to keep shooting. They're going to, they get joy from that because that's supposed to be spread around. But when you're losing games and you're shooting, you know, in this case, 33 attempts, 33 attempts, that's a lot. That's a lot. And Oh, by the way, I just noticed this again. Chris Paul didn't shoot a free throw in this game. So, wow, how many games in a row? We're going to have to look into that. First, so let's finish the point on the assist because associate producer Spencer, like most people haven't seen Spencer for hire, the old show, but <laughs> Hawk used to say Spencer. But Spencer, he and McKenzie came up with a real interesting insight, and it's what led me to look at Booker's numbers, is the big three from Milwaukee, Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, How are they passing the ball? Here is an amazing stat. Amazing. You can bet over under assists. You can bet that. If you had bet the last three games, the three Milwaukee victories, over in assists for the big three, you're like, Milwaukee, that's Midwest. They like to share. I'm going over Middleton, (laughs) over Holiday, over Giannis. So that'd be nine different bets, three per game, three games. You would have gone over and won eight out of nine times. Eight out of nine of those players, those three players over three games, had more assists than Vegas expected. And, Mackenzie, give us just an overview of how many assists they had. Average each player 22 assists, so seven per player. To compare that to the regular season, it was about five and a half per player. So about each player is about so, so one in and any a half given, more. Yeah, so it's like 66 assists over the games. So 22 per game because there's three. Three players each, so like seven and a third each. And the average for the year was five. So they've had over two extra assists each. So six extra assists between them per game, 18 over three games. 100% correct. Uh-huh, uh-huh. See, Jonas, I did okay in college. I did just fine. <laughs> but it is a point, right? On one hand, you've got Chris Paul, who who knows what's going on with him. And Mackenzie, start looking into his free throws. I think it's like 
two out of three games, if not more, he hasn't had a free throw attempt. And then go back in the log and see how rare that is. But, um, Jonas, what do you think of the whole Milwaukee's being unselfish and it's leading the way? Yeah, and you can tell. They they feel like the deeper team. Like, you just watch them and it feels like they've got options and it feels like guys are out there just trying to make the best play possible. I mean, Drew Holiday, we could say, you know, everything about the point production and he's scoring a little bit more and he's more confident in his shot and his playmaking ability. He's made in back-to-back games a couple of crucial plays that you're going to look back on in this series and go, those were monster plays. You know, the, the strip of Booker in the last game, which mm-hmm. led to the alley-oop um, to Giannis, which basically iced the game. That was a big moment. But there was also a spot in the previous game, the game four, in which there was a loose ball, there was a rebound, and he was the guy that came up with it. So it feels like they're finding guys who say they're, you know, aren't being effective at that point or in that possession uh, down on the floor, they're able to make a play on defense or grab an offensive rebound and be able to kick it out and, and, you know, milk the clock a little bit more. So they've gotten production all the way through from Holiday and others. Very well said. And I think, and that's Jonas Knox, we're straight out of Vegas. I think that what might be lost a little bit in all this is how old school Milwaukee is. You've got the superstar staying in the small market. You've got a team selling the farm for a guy who's probably better at defense and offense in Holiday. You've got a team that is so defensively orientated that it's a mindset with them. You've got a team that's passing the ball in Milwaukee. And... Not to indict the other NBA superstars, but you've got a superstar who, in Giannis, who's so old school that it seems like for some reason, if it's being outside the AAU culture or I don't know, there seems to be more. If you look at all the beefs between superstars, if you say, if I said to research, give me a list in the last 24 months of every public disagreement between superstars in the NBA, where they're both top, let's say, 15 players. How many have there been? And how many have Gian- has Giannis been the recipient of the shade, as they say? Uh, I-, I can think of at least two examples where he's the recipient, right? Has there really been more than 10? And it feels like an a- a- inordinate chunk of shade throwing, as the kids say, is against Giannis, which we've speculated is he's not part of that AAU culture. He's old school in a way, and and they look at him derisively. Yeah, and they've taught. There was a quote that went viral over the weekend where he talked about not having an ego, and they asked him, you know, where where does that come from? And then you hear his backstory to where you know he he grew up on the streets as a kid. He was having to sell things in order to make money to to for his family to eat, like just some of his upbringing. And then to hear him talk about how he doesn't focus on what he did in the current game because he feels like that's going to take away from his focus on the next game, and he doesn't want to want his his ego to get out of whack which is basically to to sum up what his point was, you don't hear a lot of guys talk like that. Like the NBA is very much a me, me superstar league. Check out my shoe, check out my, you know, my Instagram. This is what I got working. And he's not like that at all. And I just wonder if players around the league, if that bothers them or rubs them the wrong way, because they feel like maybe, 
I, I don't know. He if makes him look bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if there's something to that. And, and sometimes that'll happen, and you'll get labeled the teacher's pet, or you're just trying to play it nice, or or, or you know play it friendly. But Giannis doesn't have any of those same traits that a lot of guys have. And I think that's why we've talked about it. I think his stock has only gone up, not only on the floor, but off the floor in this finals appearance. It has with me for sure. And amazingly, that's been the case without him really fixing his two main issues. If you would have said entering the playoffs, if you would have said, what's his main issues? It's like, well, he doesn't shoot well from the outside. It's tough for him to initiate the offense late in the game. And he has free throw issues. Well, four for 11 in the last game. He's, he's shooting less from outside, so it's kind of solving the problem. But he's doubled down on his strengths, and it's enough. Though it is interesting to say, if we could go back in time, and it's 2-0 Brooklyn, and the injuries don't happen, who's favored in that series? Obviously, Brooklyn. So no matter what, it takes some luck. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hold on. In the next couple minutes, we're going to talk some Aaron Rodgers. But about (laughs) Tom Brady here in Straight Out of Vegas, it's interesting. You've got odds. Will he break the all-time passing yardage mark during this game? So will Brady break the NFL career passing yards mark against the Patriots? So he would need, in four games, counting the Patriots game, 288 and a half yards per game to break the record. So you're thinking, wow, if he gets near 300 per game, he breaks the record on average. He's, the yes, though, is plus 150. It's the underdog, about a third of a chance, 36%. Yes, plus 150, that he will break the yardage mark. Now, keep in mind, he could break it in, uh, by the third game. If he you know throws for monster yards, so it's saying it has to be exactly in that fourth game, and it's the underdog. You know, let me ask you, Jonas, the the narrative I am hearing the most, and I agree with, is that teams that had a new coach or a big transition, like a new quarterback last year, because of COVID and the restrictions of practice, suffered the most, especially early in the year. And if you look at the pay, uh, the the Bucks and Brady specifically, they played so much better. The the you know post by, and later in the year, including that playoff run, obviously, than they did earlier in the year. This was a team that the playoffs were uncertain at a certain point. You know, more than halfway through the year, and they became Super Bowl champions. Could the case be made that it's not just bringing back everyone, which is rare in a Super Bowl champ? But the fact that if you actually look at how well Tampa played at the end of the year, if they had played that well the whole year, they would have been one of the great teams perhaps of all time. And then you add in a whole other offseason, and with Brady being such a fanatical worker, that the jump you would see from the Bucks last year to this year might be one of the biggest jumps upwards you've ever seen in a Super Bowl champ. 
And even so, they're second favorites to the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, could the case be made that the Bucks are underrated? Well, yeah, I, and I actually think if you just took those two teams, Kansas City and Tampa Bay, which one are you more confident getting back to a Super Bowl? I would take Tampa Bay. And is that driven by the idea of the second year with Brady, with yeah. the first year being limited? Yeah, second year with Brady. Um, obviously, you know, Super Bowl hangovers that we've seen, that's a real thing. Teams that lose in the Super Bowl, it's really tough to get back unless you're the Patriots recently with Brady. But I just look at them, I go, that division – I think I think New Orleans is up in the air now with their quarterback sure. situation. I'm not sure about Atlanta and a brand-new head coach and, and them getting rid of Julio Jones. Um, I, I think they're closer to a rebuild than a lot of people want to want to actually realize. And then you, you look at Carolina. I, I still think we're up in the air with Carolina. Sam Darnold's there. So just in their division, I think they're the best team. And then you look around the NFC. The Packers have, have question marks. Go out west. That could They could eat their own in the west when it comes to the Rams and the Niners and the Seahawks. I think Tampa Bay's got a really good shot, a better shot than last year getting back. I would say that I'm not sure if I've ever seen a conference, the NFC specifically, that had so many question marks for the third best team. Meaning, I think you could make the case, though the Rams have to replace their defensive coordinator, who was excellent and is now the Chargers head coach. Um, Even though they have a new quarterback, you could make the case this is a rock-solid organization under McVay and that odds are really good they're going to be good. Not great necessarily, but good. And you know Tampa's going to be good. But who's the third team that you can feel really sure is going to be good? You could make in the NFC. You could make the case of San Francisco, yeah. though they let's be honest, they got big quarterback questions with a rookie potentially or a quarterback they're trying to run out of town. And last year, whatever you want to say, multiple years. And again, this is a part of the family with McKenzie. But with Shanahan, they've lost more seasons than they've won. Whatever luck you want to say, injury or whatever. And then what do you got? Green Bay, obviously big questions with Rodgers. And I will say one thing about Rodgers is the rumor going around now is if he gets the right to have an out after this year, because they've got him for multiple years, you know, I think it's two more. But if he gets an out where this is his last year and he can decide where he goes, like a player out, that he might be that would be what he'd be okay with. Well, if that's the case, they should trade him because effectively they'd only be trading one year of Rodgers for what three or four first rounders. So yeah. if they do have to give him that out, boy, that makes his value to Green Bay so much less. I would say trade him instead of that.